Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. morning. My name is Natalia, and I will be your conference operator today. I would like to welcome everyone to the Kronos Group's first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. Today's call is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to Shane Laidlaw, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Natalia. And thank you for joining us today to review Kronos Group's first quarter 2020 financial and business performance. Today, I'm joined by our Chairman, President, and CEO, Mike Gorenstein, our CFO, Jerry Barbato, and our EVP of Legal and Regulatory Affairs, Su Ming Shum. Kronos Group issued a news release announcing our financial results this morning, which are filed on our EDGAR and CDAR profiles. This information, as well as prepared remarks, will also be posted on our website under Investor Relations. Before I turn the call over to Mike, I would like to remind you that our discussion during this conference call will include forward-looking statements that are based on assumptions that are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statements, including as a result of the factors described in the cautionary statement and risk factors included in the company's earnings release and regulatory filings, included in the company's most recent annual report on Form 10-KA and quarterly report on Form 10-Q, by which any forward-looking statements made during this call are qualified in their entirety. In addition, during this call, Certain financial measures may be discussed that are not recognized under U.S. generally accepted accounting principles referred to by the Securities and Exchange Commission as non-GAAP measures. We believe these non-GAAP measures assist management in planning, forecasting, evaluating business and financial performance, including allocating resources. Reconciliations of these non-GAAP measures to their closest reported GAAP measures are included in our earnings press release furnished to the SEC which is available in the press room section of our website, thechronosgroup.com. These non-GAAP measures may not be comparable to measures used by other issuers. I'd also like to note that we are conducting our call today from our respective remote locations. As such, there may be brief delays, crosstalk, or minor technical issues during this call. We thank you in advance for your patience and understanding. We will now make prepared remarks, and then we'll move on to a question and answer session. With that, I'll pass it over to Kronos Group CEO, Mike Gorenstein. Thank you, Shane, and good morning, everyone. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to affect global markets and people around the world, we hope that everyone is staying safe and well during this time. We would like to start this call by addressing how COVID-19 has affected us and how we as a company are adapting during this time. Our top priority continues to be the health and safety of our employees and our consumers, as well as ensuring that we secure our supply chain. As we mentioned on our most recent call, we have assembled a global cross-functional internal task force led by me. We have been monitoring the situation daily in order to implement modifications as the situation evolves. The company has implemented business continuity plans to support its employee base while continuing to develop and produce reliable, high-quality products that meet and exceed the needs of consumers. As of today, our manufacturing facilities remain open as governments in the regions where we operate have designated our business as essential. We are maintaining our work from home policies for certain employees until further notice and we have a strict no travel policy, including between our sites which are deemed essential. 
In our manufacturing facilities, we enhanced hygiene and sanitation practices, modified schedules, and have maintained social distancing protocols. As circumstances vary by region and country, we are working diligently to continue to act in accordance with all applicable guidance from local, federal, and international health and governmental authorities, and we are prepared to make additional operational adjustments as necessary. We have donated surplus N95 masks, goggles, face shield head mounts, and face shield replacements from our Peace Natural Campus to the Collingwood and Barry Area Hospitals. Additionally, the Lord Jones team has distributed skincare products to nurses and doctors working in hospitals in New York, Miami, New Orleans, and Houston. As a company, we feel fortunate to contribute and are honored to give back to our communities and frontline healthcare workers to support them in their efforts to take care of COVID-19 patients. We will continue to closely monitor the rapidly evolving COVID-19 situation, as well as how the opening of different regions will impact the business, our consumers, employees, and our supply chain. As you know, my focus and the company's focus are on creating long-term shareholder value by developing disruptive intellectual property and building iconic brands. I encourage long-term thinking, and especially in today's environment, we need to be planning for the future. Our value will come from technology breakthroughs and branded sales that help build and strengthen our relationship with our consumers. We believe that the best way to create value through the supply chain is by working with contract farmers and suppliers to support our capacity needs in global markets. During the first quarter of 2020, Kronos Group's contract manufacturing joint venture in Latin America, Natuera, achieved significant operational milestones. As a reminder, Natuera is a 50-50 joint venture between Kronos Group and AGI, a company with multi-generational expertise in managing industrial-scale horticultural operations for export from Colombia. Natuera completed construction of its state-of-the-art extraction facility designed to GMP standards. Natuera also gained preferential access to four cultivars registered with the Colombian Agricultural Institute. One of the hemp strains was planted in mid-February and harvested at the end of April. With its extraction and processing facility also coming online, Natuera's R&D department has developed its first commercially available hemp-derived CBD distillate, which was granted a non-controlled substance ruling by Colombia's Narcotics Control Board, streamlining an efficient process for export. Natuera successfully completed its first test export to the United States in early March. The JV is focused on accessing new markets and product expansion, including developing additional bulk offerings of hemp-derived CBD distillate and water-soluble hemp-derived CBD solutions. Despite this being a small test shipment, we're very pleased with this joint venture and believe our approach to building a world-class, low-cost, scalable supply chain with partners like Natuera positions Kronos Group to develop new business and trade channels in geographies like Latin America and other markets globally. Let's now turn to discuss our latest developments in Israel. Subsequent to this quarter in April 2020, Kronos Group completed its first export of bulk dried flour to Kronos Israel in order to sell Peace Naturals branded cannabis products for distribution in the Israeli medical market. Kronos Israel will begin to build its distribution network and brand presence in this rapidly growing medical market. Concurrently with building our brand presence, we have worked with our JV partners at Kibbutz Gan Shmuel to bring the Kronos Israel facility online, 
and we are encouraged that this operation will become a growth driver for our business in the back half of 2020 and onward. We have received the necessary regulatory approvals to produce, manufacture, and sell dried cannabis flour and are awaiting approvals for pre-rolls and oil products, which we are expected to receive throughout 2020. I want to provide a bit of color on the Israel medical market and why we're looking forward to bringing Peace Naturals branded products to patients, which are expected to become available sometime in the second quarter of this year. Israel has taken several steps to optimize and expedite the patient access process for medical cannabis, and we are excited to join this thriving regulated market. The cannabis usage rate in Israel is among the highest in the world, and the medical patient count in Israel is expected to grow rapidly, which represents an excellent opportunity for a business to grow in this market. In 2016, the Israeli Ministry of Health published a medical cannabis information booklet and guide which includes a methodology intended for doctors to prescribe cannabis. This is meant to guide and assist in customizing treatment with medical cannabis. Many doctors in the Israeli healthcare system have been trained and certified using this clinical methodology, which enables them to provide treatment and issue patients licenses for possession and use of medical cannabis. The Israeli Medical Cannabis Agency currently grants personal medical cannabis permits and prescriptions to patients to treat a variety of medical conditions. And unlike the Canadian medical cannabis programs, patients fill prescriptions directly through pharmacies. The existing sophisticated legal framework for medical cannabis in Israel, coupled with a less established black market due to Israel's stringent border controls, makes an exciting and potentially lucrative opportunity for Kronos Group. In April, Kronos Israel entered into a collaborative agreement with Canisol Analytics, a cannabis research company dedicated to developing scientific intellectual property medical products, and technologies. Under our agreement, Canisol intends to develop a commercial cannabis analytical testing laboratory on-site at Kronos Israel. Canisol is led by established cannabis researcher, Professor Didi Miri from the Technion Israel Institute of Technology. Professor Miri intends to operate the laboratory and conduct in-house commercial analytical testing for Kronos Israel and third-party clients. Once operational, the lab's capabilities are anticipated to address the current gap and need in the Israeli market for accurate end-to-end cannabis analytical testing for both domestic sale and export to certain international markets. We are delighted to partner with Dr. Miri again and to bring this expertise to the Israeli market. Another initiative we remain excited about is our intellectual property work with Ginkgo Bioworks and our commitment to investing in cutting-edge breakthrough technologies in cannabinoid innovation. Every day we move one step closer to our vision of creating cultured cannabinoids at scale using fermentation. Ginkgo has already filed patent applications which pertain to the fermentation of cannabinoids in order to protect the intellectual property work we have developed to date through this partnership. As previously noted, we are the exclusive global perpetual licensee of the intellectual property covered by the patent applications for the eight target cannabinoids outlined in our agreement with Ginkgo. In the first quarter of 2020, Kronos Fermentation received an R&D license from Health Canada and received additional cannabinoid producing strains from Ginkgo Bioworks. Subsequent to the quarter end, Kronos Fermentation successfully fermented one of our target cannabinoids, CBGA, using the cannabinoid strains in our Winnipeg R&D labs. Kronos fermentation will continue using these strains to optimize downstream processing and scale-up procedures 
in advance of receiving the final strains and commercial processing license, both of which are required for commercialization. This groundbreaking work has the ability to transform our business and disrupt the industry in a variety of ways. First, it will allow us to be more cost competitive as we roll out derivative products. As consumer demand shifts from flour to derivative products, lowering the cost of active ingredients will become critical to compete effectively against our peers and the illicit market. Second, fermented cannabinoids will deliver more consistent products. Like other consumer packaged good companies, in order to develop trusted cannabis brands that resonate with consumers, it is critical that we deliver the same experience each time a consumer interacts with our products. We expect the fermentation platform to provide us with the manufacturing precision to deliver consistent cannabinoid blends and products. And third, we plan to leverage rare cannabinoids to provide differentiated products to consumers and become a leader in the growth of new product categories. In the long run, differentiated products will drive margin durability and market share. Rare cannabinoids will enable us to distinguish our products in existing categories. Additionally, leveraging rare cannabinoids as the primary ingredient in new product categories will allow us to expand the addressable market. Having accomplished the milestone of successfully fermenting a cannabinoid at R&D scale at our facility, we continue to be confident in our ability to commercially ferment cannabinoids under our previously disclosed timeline of September 2021. We anticipate these cultured cannabinoids will one day not only be an integral part of our supply chain, but also help our brand innovation potential reach new heights. This quarter, we continue to bring new innovative products to market and further establish our brand portfolio. Our goal is to deliver high-quality, consistent cannabinoid products to the market while expanding how consumers approach and shop within the category. Early this quarter, our luxury hemp-derived CBD brand, Lord Jones, launched the Lord Jones Acid Mantle Repair CBD Moisturizer to the U.S. market. This soothing facial moisturizer is formulated to help maintain the skin's acid mantle and rebalance the appearance of stressed skin. The brand continues to deliver on its promise of authenticity to consumers while launching new and innovative skincare products. Toward the end of the first quarter, Lord Jones saw a shift to the direct-to-consumer online channel as well as online sales through its partner sites, as most brick-and-mortar luxury retailers have closed due to COVID-19 and subsequent social distancing orders. As an online-first business, Lord Jones has the existing infrastructure in place to meet the online demand for hemp-derived CBD products. Despite our readiness to adapt to the changing landscape, both near and long-term, consumer behavior does not always shift as easily. We believe the beauty category could have lingering impacts in regard to product trials and purchasing, as consumers in the skincare category typically like to try it in retail before they buy. In the Canadian 2.0 market, our direct-to-consumer medicinal cannabis brand, Peace Naturals, launched new vaporizer devices in the first quarter. Our Peace Naturals brand has always kept quality as a top priority, and this commitment to quality holds true with our new vaporizer devices. These devices aim to deliver a premium extract for consumers with precise cannabinoid concentration levels and terpene profiles for a consistent experience. The premium cannabis extracts are made using CO2 extraction processes and each product has a unique and aromatic blend, which uses all-natural, terpene-rich flavors. Our Peace Naturals batteries and cartridges are rigorously tested before sale, and we receive positive feedback on the products to date. We are proud of our uncompromising approach to quality, which is at the heart of everything we do. 
As we continue to glean more consumer insights into the Canadian market, we look forward to developing innovative and differentiated products that meet the needs and exceed the expectations of our consumers. Turning to distribution in the Canadian market, in Q1 we continue to supply the adult use market, working with provinces and private retailers to meet demand during this time. As COVID-19 has impacted global markets and various industries and supply chains, we have begun to see a contraction in demand as cannabis stores in various provinces have been either closed or are going through changes in how they are forced to operate. In Canada, while certain cannabis retailers were designated an essential business, additional new measures have been implemented to permit click and collect and online delivery of cannabis products to consumers. Several provincial purchasers have similarly implemented additional health and safety measures and reduced staff at on-site operations including limiting delivery time slots, which has posed logistical challenges and created a reduction in purchase order fulfillment. The slowdown and disruption faced by retailers is also in addition to quarantine measures and travel restrictions, which could impact the ability of consumers to readily access our products outside of the online channel. These restrictions will continue to change and evolve, which creates uncertainty in forecasting consumer demand and sales velocity. As mentioned, in the U.S., while online sales have continued, most beauty and luxury brick-and-mortar retailers have temporarily closed their stores and boutiques. However, Lord Jones has adapted during this time and has made and will continue to make modifications to meet the online sales demand in this environment. Through these challenges, we continue to modify and monitor our distribution networks to bring quality products to market during this unprecedented time. We understand that this disruption is impacting everyone, but we are committed to providing our consumers with the level of consistency and stability with our products that they have come to expect from our brands and from us. With that, I'll turn it over to Jerry to provide a discussion on this quarter's financial results and our remediation efforts. Thanks, Mike, and good morning, everyone. Turning to our financial results, the company reported consolidated net revenue in the first quarter of 2020 of $8.4 million a 181% increase from the prior year period. Revenue growth year-over-year was driven primarily by increased distribution of cannabis products in the Canadian market and the inclusion of financial results of Redwood, our U.S. hemp-derived CBD business that was acquired in September of last year. Consolidated gross profit for the first quarter of 2020 was negative $6.5 million dollars an $8 million decline from the first quarter of 2019. The decrease versus prior year was primarily driven by unfavorable pricing dynamics observed in the Canadian market that led to an $8 million inventory write-down on dry cannabis and cannabis extracts within the rest of world segment, as well as an increase in the marginal production costs at the Peace Naturals campus. As we continue working towards operating at full capacity, after the repurposing of the facility in the fourth quarter of 2019. If we were to exclude the inventory write-down of $8 million, gross profit in the first quarter of 2020 would have been $1.5 million, representing a gross margin of 18%. As we noted in our fourth quarter 2019 earnings, we anticipate inventory write-downs to continue in the short term due to pricing pressures in the marketplace. Reported operating loss for the first quarter of 2020 was negative $45.1 million, representing a $34.9 million decline from the first quarter of 2019. The loss was due to a combination of factors. 
including general and administrative expenses as a result of increased headcount, sales and marketing costs related to the development of new and existing brands, R&D expenses mainly due to the costs associated with our Ginkgo partnership, and spending on innovation at the Kronos Device Labs Research and Development Center. Additionally, internal review costs of $4.4 million, which was included in G&A related to the restatement of our 2019 financial statements. Our consolidated adjusted operating loss for the first quarter of 2020, which excludes the one-time internal review costs, was negative $40.7 million. Turning to our reporting segment, the rest of world segment reported net revenue in the first quarter of 2020 of $6.3 million, a 108% increase from the prior year period. Revenue growth year-over-year was driven primarily by increased distribution of cannabis products in the Canadian market, including the launch of cannabis vaporizers in both the adult use and direct-to-consumer categories. Gross profit for the rest of the world segment was negative $7.6 million, a $9.1 million decline from the first quarter of 2019. The decrease year-over-year was primarily driven by increased marginal production costs at the Peace Naturals campus, as well as an inventory write-down on dried cannabis and cannabis oil. If we were to exclude the $8 million inventory write-down, gross profit in the first quarter would have been $0.4 million, representing a 6% gross margin. I want to take a moment to address the gross margin in the rest of the world segment. As discussed previously, certain facilities at the Canadian Peace Naturals campus have been partially repurposed from cultivation to provide additional space for R&D activities, manufacturing of derivative products, as well as increased vaults and warehousing capacity. Separately, we are also continuing to ramp up our purchases from third-party cannabis producers in order to fully realize the benefits of our asset light model. As we work to create an efficient global supply chain through 2020 and beyond, for our rest of world segment, we anticipate that gross margins will continue to fluctuate and experience pressure. This is due to the current underutilization of certain manufacturing facilities that are being repurposed and the work still underway to streamline our third-party biomass supply chain. We anticipate that these operational pressures will ease as our manufacturing and purchasing teams continue to make progress in these areas. Turning to our Canadian cannabis vaporizers, we made a strategic decision with our launch to utilize contract manufacturers to increase speed to market at the onset of cannabis 2.0 legalization. Further, we believe that contract manufacturing allows us to be more flexible and responsive to trends in the marketplace, while also aligning with our asset light model. We continue to work with contract manufacturers to reduce costs and streamline inventory movement, and we anticipate continued improvements to the gross margins of our base throughout 2020. Reported operating loss in the rest of the world segment for the first quarter of 2020 was negative $31.9 million, representing a $21.7 million decline from the first quarter of 2019. The loss was primarily driven by increased general and administrative expenses as a result of increased headcount, higher sales and marketing costs related to building and developing existing brands, 
and higher R&D expenses in pursuit of our strategy. Our teams in Canada work diligently each day to properly configure and enhance our cannabinoid supply chain. We are creating an industry while simultaneously executing a strategy that differs from our industry peers. We continue to believe in our strategy and its merits for long-term value creation. Turning to the U.S. segment, reported net revenue in the first quarter of 2020 was $2.2 million. Gross profit for the U.S. segment was $1.1 million, representing a gross margin of 50%. Reported operating loss in the U.S. segment for the first quarter of 2020 was a negative $6.5 million. The loss was primarily driven by increased sales and marketing costs incurred in relation to the introduction of several new U.S. hemp-derived CBD products under the Lord Jones brand and an increase in headcount to support growth initiatives. Overall, Kronos Group reported a decrease in net income from the prior year, primarily due to the change in fair value of the financial derivative liability associated with Altria's investment, which is described in more detail in the 10Q. In the first quarter, the company recorded a non-cash gain of $113.4 million related to the change in fair value of these financial derivative liabilities. Kronos continues to expect there may be significant reported earnings volatility, primarily driven by the fair value quarterly adjustments related to the movement of Kronos Group stock price. Turning to the balance sheet, the company ended the quarter with approximately $1.3 billion in cash and short-term investments, representing a $171 million decline from the fourth quarter of 2019. The majority of the decline was due to the impact of volatility in exchange rates. The U.S. dollar strengthened significantly against the Canadian dollar since the beginning of the year, from $1.30 at December 31st to $1.41 at March 31st, 2020. In the long term, this is not meaningful to our business, and we can expect to have fluctuations in currency in the short term and generally going forward. Capital expenditures for the quarter were $7.5 million. This spending includes investments in our Peace Naturals campus, Kronos Fermentation, our Israeli facility, and device technology innovation at Kronos Device Labs. We remain focused on deploying capital in a disciplined manner, and only in ways that align with our strategic priorities. Lastly, I would like to provide you an update on our remediation efforts in relation to the material weaknesses that we disclosed last quarter. We as a company are committed to instituting best practices for financial reporting. Our management, with oversight from the Audit Committee, has initiated a plan, which we are working diligently to phase in over the course of 2020. I will now take you through some additional detail of our remediation plan for each of the three material weaknesses we disclosed last quarter. First, we are making considerable enhancements to the quarterly review of our risk assessment model and risk controlled matrices, while also establishing a risk committee that will review the risk assessment on a quarterly basis. Secondly, we are enhancing the delegation of authority policies to limit the number of groups that can authorize sales or purchases of inventory. We are also establishing a review process and an internal database to identify entities that are both vendors and customers of the company. And lastly, we are in the process of creating and implementing a non-routine transactions policy that will clearly define non-routine transactions, require accounting memo completion, 
and will require CEO and or CFO approval. Business operators will be required to provide formal business cases for all non-routine business-to-business unbranded sales and purchases. These business cases will be reviewed quarterly to ensure alignment with the objectives of the company. We will also be expanding the sub-certification process to additional members of management to ensure that non-routine transactions are correctly identified and accounted for. As we implement these controls, they will be rigorously tested internally and by our independent auditor to ensure they are working correctly. We are confident in the remediation plan that we are implementing and believe we will be a stronger company as a result of this undertaking. In closing, we expect to continue to invest in our strategic initiatives and we remain optimistic about our near-term plans to achieve long-term leadership in the cannabis space. With that, I'll turn it over to Mike for closing remarks before Q&A. Thank you, Jerry. Kronos started 2020 off energized and determined to continue to execute against our strategic initiatives to drive sustainable growth and long-term value. Despite the challenges and uncertainty posed by the COVID-19 pandemic, we remain focused as a business and agile, unless required to leave our homes. Our brand portfolio continues to launch innovative products to consumers as we adapt to an online-first distribution model in both the U.S. and Canada. We continue to reach our stakeholders and consumers through creative digital marketing. We believe the mission of our company to improve lives through cannabinoid innovation resonates especially well, and we feel very fortunate to be able to provide consumers with our products during these times. We remain well positioned and committed to generating sustainable, long-term value for shareholders, and are confident 2020 will be a successful building year for Kronos. With that, let's now open the line for questions. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that's star, then the number 1. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Again, that is star 1. The first question is from the line of Andrew Carter with Stiefel. Hey, thanks. Good morning. Um, I want to focus in back on the Lord Jones or the U.S. Or the US kind of platform. Come, it came in. It's down sequentially from uh, from the last quarter and, and essentially flat from kind of uh, kind of what it was in the third quarter. And there's a lot of moving parts. Obviously, shipments are down to some of the the stores that are closing. But what can you offer? And there's some new product launches as well. What can you offer in terms of growth from kind of existing customers and your direct consumer channel or anything just to kind of offer some evidence that that brand's kind of resonating and growing. Thanks. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Although it was a bit disappointing to see the decline in the U.S. business, uh, we feel confident in the plans that the business has to correct the trajectory, including, you know, but not limited to uh, building consumer awareness of new and existing products. Uh, such as Mike mentioned in the prepared remarks, our Lord Jones Acid Mantle CBD Moisturizing Cream, and an additional brand launch coming down the pike in the second half of 2020. You know, the U.S. CBD market is a big opportunity for us, um, and we look forward to sharing more of what we have in the pipeline and with our consumers over time. You know, the other thing I want to talk about is the COVID-19 impact. While we've, we have a big D2C business, you know, we do have many retail partners over 900, and a lot of those are closed right now. 
And while some of that has shifted to some online platforms, a lot of these are boutiques that don't have an online platform. So there could be some pressure, definitely pressure in Q2, and we'll see what, what looks forward in Q3 and Q4. Okay, thanks. And uh, then just kind of talk about the other kind of key channel for your business. If I'm understanding your outlook for Canada, you're, 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 you're indicating some pressure, pressure to sales near term. I mean, how are you thinking about the opportunity from Canada and kind of positioning kind of the business this year? Is it, should we think about short-term decline, but a, a very quick recovery once the restrictions lifted? Or are you also maybe thinking about some lingering impacts, obviously delayed retail rollout, some closures? Just how are you thinking about the channel's development and positioning for it over the next six months to a year? Thanks. I'll pass it on after that. Sure. So I think, you know, long term, we, we haven't seen anything that changes our, our view of, of how the market will roll out. In the next six months to a year, and I think things will be choppy. You know, part of the, part of the things we've seen is uh, sudden changes in, in what distribution will look like, and it, it's pretty difficult to paint all of Canada with a, you know, a broad brush, just given the different approaches provinces have to responding to COVID. So, you know, I think that we can see some some changes in, in product mix and, and pack sizes. You know, when we just think about the occasions uh, for, you know, consumers that they're going to be purchasing, uh, you know, keeping in mind more at home. Uh, so I think convenience formats is something that will, that will be less of a priority. So uh, maybe more of a shift towards flour. Uh, and, you know, I think we're, we're actually still going to see some store growth. You know, we've seen some stores in Ontario continue, but I think it's, it's less of, uh, you know, expecting declines and maybe just the, while we were conservative and, you know, forecasting what the growth would be this year, I think it's, it's, Likely that it would just be the expected growth may not be there, but I think it's uh, you know given the asset light model and, and the flexibility we have, I think we're we're confident that the strategy is still right and that we'll be able to uh, you know be ready to hit the ground running as soon as things start opening back up. Your next question is from the line of Michael Avery with Piper Sandler. Good morning, thank you. Good morning. Can you talk a little bit more about CBG or CBGA? And uh, you mentioned you want to be positioned with differentiated products. Can you give us any maybe teaser of how that might look and what some of the, the things are that would differentiate it and maybe specifically partly how to educate the consumer on how to understand different from other cannabinoids? Sure, thanks. Uh, it's a great question. You know, we think CBG will, will have similar consumer purchasing habits to CBD. Uh, like CBD, I think there's certainly still more research that's needed before making any specific claims. Uh, I think what, what we'll find is that a lot of the uh, reasons consumers might be purchasing CBD, they'll, they'll find that maybe they'll, they'll get a better experience from a specific uh, need for uh, from CBG, so there, that it will be some element of uh, better fulfilling a what is today a CBD consumer's needs, but I think there's still also an opportunity to expand some of the addressable market. Uh, so you could think of just the formats uh, being, you know, for generally anything that's not intoxicating uh, the cannabinoid to be kind of similar, whereas THC would be, you know, on the other side. So. Uh, we've seen actually in, in some small quantities CBG being available and in strong demand in, in the U.S. 
Uh, I think that we need to have more supply before being able to predict pricing dynamics, but we have seen it uh, just given the scarcity being at a, uh, a higher price point. Uh, but, you know, we think there's two real ways that it bring into market. One is using CBG as a, a lead cannabinoid, uh, you know, being a unique category and differentiator. And the other is including CBG and, and highlighting it as part of a, a product mix with other cannabinoids. Okay, that's helpful. And just a quick follow-up, can you give a sense for what some of the you, – you mentioned you foresee inventory write-downs still to come. Can you give us any sense of, of order of magnitude of, of that risk? Is it similar to what was in this quarter? Is, is it more or less? Yeah, we, we don't give forward-looking guidance. And so, it, you know, a lot of it depends on what happens in the Canadian marketplace with, with fair value. Our next question is from the line of Vivian Aether with Cohen. Hi, thank you. Good morning. Um, you know, just, just to, to follow up on um, the landscape in, in Canada, um, a lot of your competitors have, have introduced, um, you know, value priced or, you know, discount or deep discount offerings. What impact um, are you seeing in terms of the overall pricing landscape um, given that competitive activity? Thanks. Sure. You know, I, I think uh, it, it's certainly something we're seeing and we're, we're seeing uh, price elasticity in you know in certain categories you know we we do and we have always expected that in the flower category uh, we'll continue to see price compression uh, you know we think that from a platform for platform perspective uh, you know a lot of the work that we're doing and have been doing in innovation uh, you know with fermentation will position us very well to be able to you know, continue to be price competitive and, and really be able to lead and uh, generating value from, from you know, those types of segments. Uh, but you know, I think there's two things that are really driving the changes. I think one is you know, certainly value. You, know, you have less, uh, less cost when you're able to spread out the amount of product into larger pack sizes, but also the fact that you know, we have consumers that are at home right now I think you would see a shift to larger pack sizes, uh, you know, irrelevant of, or sorry, regardless of the you know shift in drastic shift in prices. So we think it, it's those two things are certainly catching on, and you know we don't we don't think that for flour we're going to see any drastic uh, changes to that trend anytime soon. When we look at at other markets, uh, the legalized markets in the U.S., what you tend to see is uh, the price starts out quite high. Uh, when there is a you know high demand and low supply, you'll see that price come down over time, uh, and then at a certain point, you'll see the price start coming back up and moving towards an equilibrium. As uh, you'll have operators start exiting, uh, you know one of the reasons that we partnered with the Mucci Group for Kronos Groco is I think their ability to uh, to thrive in in other produce markets where there are similar trends, and you know that's that's sort of how we're thinking of the flower market shaping up in, in Canada. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, and just a, a follow-up to that, um, you mentioned the shift to larger pack sizes with the, the stay-at-home orders in place. That certainly makes sense and is consistent with what we're seeing in other CPG categories. But from a demand planning standpoint, Mike, um, are you assuming that there will be elevated levels of consumption, you know, so long as stay-at-home 
is in place? How are you thinking about the evolution of consumer demand given the current backdrop? Thanks. Sure. You know, we we don't have enough data that would substantiate that, and I think while you know we certainly could see that as a possibility, there are there are factors that you know are, are difficult to predict, such as you know how much uh, of the consumption is and, and purchasing will come from the legal versus illicit market. And I think also uh, the product mix is a key thing for us to think about. And when we think of demand planning, just given the the you know time to change uh, pack sizes and change offerings, and you know how long we think that would last for, you know we do factor in. Uh, we're kind of looking at where, uh, since we're in Canada, I'll say that where the puck is going, not where the puck is. And you know, I don't, I don't know that a sustained shift towards large pack flower sizes is where we see the value uh, going forward long term. Um, you know, we do understand that there is some element of that, but I think, you know, again, going back to convenience and usage, some of the benefits from you know, formats we're very excited around, where convenience does matter quite a bit, pre-rolls, uh, vape pens, edibles, you know, I think that has less of an emphasis. So our, our near-term demand planning is that there's just much more likely to be a mix shift than a overall uh, product quantity shift. Your next question is from the line of Jean Samparo with CIBC. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to follow up on the, the earlier question about uh, CBGA. Um, I think it's an interesting development. So can you talk more broadly about your biosynthesis strategy and Let's say you achieve the milestones that uh, that you referenced, Mike, or, or even faster than you expect. Are th are there additional steps you need to monetize and commercialize that research? Do you need regulatory approvals, or or can you launch products as soon as you get them? Um, and, if, and if this requires more work with Technion or, or Canisol, uh, now I guess um, just just anything you can provide us with to help frame that strategy would be helpful. Sure. Thanks, John. So I think there's a few ways you could think about it. Uh, you know, the first, if you think about the THC or CBD or you know even CBG, we've been able to see some limited data on how the products are used. Uh, for products that we have out in the market today, or even products that we would be launching regardless of, uh, of, of fermentation, anything other than flour, uh, you know, we're still able to just substitute, you know. It, for fermented cannabinoids, they're completely fungible. It's the same exact molecule with uh, with extracted from cultivation cannabinoids. So, you know, I think out of the gate, being able to monetize is not something that we need anything outside of the commercial processing license at the facility uh, in Canada. That would just be the same as if we had a third party or sorry, uh, like a second site for extraction. The process we need to go through. Uh, it's actually specifically outlined in C45 that uh, for processing cannabinoids can come from biosynthesis. So we see it as you know fungible and something that can can move into the supply chain instantly. Uh, you know where I think there is further research and work that we're doing now is when we think of, of products where we're using the rare cannabinoids as uh, as a lead product. So if we were to uh, launch a THCV vape pen where THCV is the primary cannabinoid in a new-to-world formulation. You know, that's research we're still, still working on now. Uh, you know, the skin care research at Technion, certainly that's, you know, work still needed to be done there. While we're excited about it, we still have, you know, ways to go. Uh, but the other way that we would leverage rare cannabinoids, when I talk about just 
swapping it into our supply chain. If you were to look at the breakdown of ingredients in any, uh, you know, any popular cannabis product today, or I should say most cannabis products today, what you'll see is while THC and CBD will be the two primary cannabinoids, as you go down you know, from a, a lab printout, you'll see that CBG, CBC, CBDV, THCV, all the ginkgo targets are actually in there. And when you think of the entourage effect and what consumers look for, for this differentiated experience, when you say, you know, I want a white widow versus, uh, you know, northern lights, it's really those cannabinoids and the terpenes that are driving that unique effect and, and that unique blend that consumers want. And it just gives us the ability in our supply chain to be able to make sure that we provide that unique blend each time and, and just deliver the same experience. So from that, you know, that perspective, there aren't uh, changes we need to make. Uh, but certainly for new to world, uh, new to world formulations, there's still research you know we'll we'll be doing, and I, I you know suspect and hope that there'll be research we'll be doing for years and can continue to build our innovation pipeline as we uh, are able to test and refine and perfect offerings. All right, that's very helpful. Thank you for that. Um, and then my follow-ups on on the brand building side. Uh, just want to get a sense of how you think about. Um, building brands in the current COVID environment. You've talked in the past about launching additional brands through through the Redwood uh, family or Redwood Asset, but um, your, your distribution partners are, are pretty restricted right now. Uh, so does, it, does this defer the brand launch until 2021, or was that kind of the game plan anyway? You know, I, I think there, there are certainly things that can cause delays in how we might otherwise launch or maybe an optimal launch. Uh, but it is a reality we have to deal with that this this can stretch out for you know long periods. So you know we certainly have contingency plans. Um, you know we feel that when we when we look at the at the brands in the portfolio and think of just timing, you know there are there are certain elements to the brands we would launch where we think we're able to get uh, awareness. Uh, you know without having. Uh, what well, wouldn't be optimal without having a retail presence. So, you know, we think as a digitally native and uh, brand leveraging DTC and being able to use social media, there are a lot of ways that we still, you know, can launch and uh, plan on on launching DTC, of course, still monitoring the situation if, if that's uh, uh, the only available avenue to us. Your next question is from the line of Raul. Rugeser with Raymond James. Uh, morning, Mike and Jerry. Thanks so much for, for taking my question. Uh, so congrats on, on having the tech transfer from Ginkgo to, uh, to the Winnipeg facility. That is, of course, an important milestone and, and seems to be an evolving part of your strategy. Um, so we're recognizing that the, the first cannabinoid is CBGA, and, and uh, so I wanted to sort of probe a little bit further into, you know, how many additional cannabinoids uh, do you expect to uh, be tech transferred over to the Winnipeg facility over the next year and, and as you approach that September 2021 uh, timeline? Sure. Uh, you know, yeah, I think we, uh, and without, without getting into specifics of, of how many have actually been tech transferred to date, I would just say we do expect that we would have, uh, you know, by, by next year in September 2021, uh, you know, the, all of the cannabinoids transferred and the different strains. I think for us, the most important part of the of the milestone is 
it's just the general fermentation process. And if you think about the uh, just how similar our targets are as far as the, the molecule, it's being able to start working on the scale up and and the you know, downstream processing, being able to work out what the kinks are and where potential bottlenecks are you know, from uh, fermenting or harvesting or you know, separation, and just being able to you know, get the conversion of uh, you know of the strain to the broth to the uh, purified cannabinoid. So you know that that process is the important thing is just having a strain and a cannabinoid. But the molecules are so similar that you know, we, we don't see any difference in what those those processes really are going to be. Uh, but you know, we we still expect timeline-wise that we'll be able to bring things to market September 2021. Great, Ted. Thanks for the color. And just a quick follow-up question: Then, do you expect that those first-generation products will be purely synthetic, or do you think you'll be using a, a combination formulation of some synthetic as well as uh, some botanically derived isolates. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's tough to answer, and it could be you know a combination. I do think that you know for a lot of products there are some benefits to still having some of the fats and waxes and uh, and terpenes that are there, but ultimately, you know what the product mix will be will be dictated by by consumers, and so. Um, you know, we think there are benefits to being able to make sure that we balance out and make our offerings consistent. Uh, you know, we, we haven't seen that isolate products are necessarily uh, something that there's a lot of uh, consumer interest in today. So it would be either a combination of, of cannabinoids that are uh, fermented or a combination of fermented and, and botanical. Uh, but I would, I would say more likely from consumer research that in the early stages as we ramp up and think about run-on, run-off times and, and changing uh, different cannabinoid runs and working out efficiencies that it would start off as more of a blend. Your next question is from the line of Owen Bennett with Jeffries. Morning, guys. Hope all well. Um, and my first question is just on, on the write-downs and where you're expecting more in additional courses. I was just wondering what your thinking is there and, and why, given the arguably increased scrutiny on your reporting now, you don't take one large write-down up front like a lot of your peers seem to be doing. Yeah, thank you, Owen, and good morning. Well, as you can imagine, you know, this is a pretty dynamic time for the company as we're retooling our Canadian business for 2.0 products and expand on our third-party biomass purchasing strategy. You know, and I'll point you back to the factors that we laid out in our prepared remarks, such as the, the near-term underutilization of the Peace Naturals campus and uh, the stabilization, stabilization of our third-party uh, biomass supply chain. Um, you know, essentially you've seen this with, with others in the industry. Your gross margins can be impacted when facilities are not being utilized to their full capacity. Um, this is uh, just a product of the fact that there's not a... There's not enough revenue to cover the, the facility's fixed costs. We, we see that improving as the year goes on. Okay. And, you know, one, one thing just to also say, when, you know, there are some still fixed price contracts that are, that are being worked out, and, and it's just our, our expectation that we'll continue to see price compression uh, on the supply side. And I would add, when, when comparing to competitors, one thing just to be mindful of is uh, believe that we only have one other competitor that 
is uh, reports in, in GAAP right now. So, you know, I, I think that we, the way that we approach accounting is, is likely different than the majority of the competitors that are still under IFRS. Okay. And then I guess my, my follow-up to that is you've spoken about the ongoing shift to value, the price compression. Given the, the likelihood of further write-downs, it does seem that there's a little sell-through for your flower right now, and it remains one of the most expensive in the market. I was just wondering, I mean, what is your strategy there? Are you going to keep prices where they are? Are you going to lower them because of the lack of sell-through? I mean, if it's the former, it does appear like you're almost writing off the flower business in the hope of obviously you talk about these value-added products and when they start to, to come through and you revenues materialize from them. Yeah, no, I think just for competitive reasons, we're not, we're not going to speak to what our pricing strategy will will be going forward. But you know, of course, it's something that we constantly evaluate and uh, want to make sure that we stay competitive in the you know in the marketplace and are fulfilling consumer needs. Your next question is from the line of Matt Bottomley with Canaccord Genuity. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking the questions. Just wanted to, to dig a little deeper in, in the domestic cannabis uh, sales or penetration uh, this quarter over last. So I know you had some in your some, some details in the um, prepared remarks, but you had um, a decent bump as a percentage going up to 6.3 million, but still in absolute dollars. I would have um, anticipated potentially a, a bigger bump given the 2.0 product introduction. So if you can maybe just um, give us some color on on the quarter over quarter growth, uh, lining up what happened with the, the the vape pens, and then also how much um, contribution might have shifted to incremental incremental international sales. It's still unclear to me how much export in the period um, might have been in that number. Sure. So, you know, I think uh, one thing that to look at is, uh, you know, how much a how much I think we saw in growth of, of, of branded sales and penetration. I think, um, you know, we, we have certainly seen a little bit of a, a mix shift, uh, you know, given that purchases were or did not include 2.0 or included a small amount of 2.0 to now, uh, you know, now consumers having the option of both. Uh, but, you know, I think that if things are, things are going well as far as how well the vape pens are received. Uh, and it's something that we expect to ramp up throughout the year. Uh, as far as international, we actually haven't seen any changes in uh, in demand for exports. It's really scheduling logistics. But when we look forward at, at growth, you know, we are adding a new uh, a new region. And I think when you think of all the different medical markets that have launched, uh, Israel is, uh, despite sort of being this a new commercialized. Uh, market. It's something where we've had a lot of infrastructure and I think the regulators have done a very good job of making sure that it's something that's successful both for medical patients and for businesses. So we do expect growth to come from uh, from Israel. I would say starting initially with the uh, you know the flour that we've exported but we do have our facility up and running and have you know, been able to get harvest out. So you know given the shortage there and uh, what we've seen to be you know, a, a Fair amount of demand without having, uh, you know, much of a black market compared to what we see in North America. We expect growth to come there, but I would I would say that uh, it's not purely coming as an export market. A lot of that will come from the domestic uh, cultivation, but depending on where demand levels out, it could still be a mix of export and domestic cultivation. 
Got it. Uh, thank you. And then just as a follow-up, maybe just um, any color on on pricing, um, whether in dollars or just as a as a as a ratio to what we what you see in the Canadian medical market. Um, I know the the pricing you had historically in Germany was very favorable. So just curious how that works in in Israel. Yeah, I, I think it's it's not going to be as high as Germany. I think um, Germany is is pretty unique. Uh, I would say that you know we expect. And when you think of it, and I don't want to sound like a you know economics professor, but there's not a unique barrier like there is in Germany because of the way the pharmacy system works, and sort of the, it almost freezes prices. So you know we have seen in markets like this that there might be in a shortage a high price, but we're really focused on building a relationship with the consumers and the patients and uh, getting early market share. It's a market we plan on really leaning into. Uh, so I would say prices are, are going to be closer to what you know we're seeing in Canada, at least the way we think of setting prices. Uh, but we do expect the cost of production to be lower in Israel, uh, and I think we've we've highlighted that in, in previous calls, just given the climate. Uh, so you know we expect that there's still a, a good margin opportunity, uh, but over time we would expect to see similar trends as far as product mix as what we've seen in Canada because it's it's. From a regulation perspective, uh, similar, uh, with the key difference being going through pharmacies rather than direct to patient. Uh, so maybe it'll it'll shape out somewhere between where the adult use and the medical market in Canada is. Uh, but I do think Germany is, uh, is is its own category, just given the the more traditional pharma model. Your final question is from the line of Graham Brindler with Eight Capital. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I just wanted to follow up with respect to the, the U.S. CBD um, pipeline um, launches expected for the second half of 2020. Um, you know, traditionally, Lord Jones has been placed as um, more of a premium brand, and I was wondering um, if there are any plans to launch more of a um, mainstream or value-type product um, given potential for economic headwinds because of COVID-19. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question, Graham. Uh, most definitely, you know, Lord Jones obviously plays in that super premium uh, category with, with the high price. And so as we look about the consumer segments, um, that is definitely a, a big opportunity for us is launching a much more mainstream brand. And that is definitely in our plans. Okay, thanks. And then um, as a follow-up question here, um, I was just wondering, given the recent uh, developments at, at Altria and the changes in leadership there, can you just provide a bit of color in terms of the relationship between the two companies and, you know, any any sort of uh, discussions that have had during during transitions or, you know, as the, as the business continues to develop there? That would be helpful. Thank you. Sure. And I think uh, – there haven't really been any any changes in the discussions. Um, you know, I think the the team that's that's there from our perspective is a team that's you know it, it has been there since we've had the relationship. Uh, so, you know, and, and I think Jerry is also probably um, you know uniquely connected to the people there. But I think that there's been a lot of uh, consistency with with tenure of the you know executives there and. So we haven't really had had many changes in discussions. Uh, you know, I think a lot of what of the last few months we've been focused on is we've been getting a lot of help from a lot of uh, a lot of the folks there and counterparts on just you know thinking through uh, COVID, you know, thinking through potential impacts, 
thinking through what you know best practice can be in manufacturing, making sure we have the right procedures in place uh, to you know focus on employee safety and how to deal with things. So I think it's been a very collaborative relationship, and I think we've been very very fortunate to be able to lean on their expertise and how to deal with pretty uncertain times. Uh, but high level, there haven't been any any discussions and, and changes. Yeah, I, w I would add it's, it's been quite a seamless transition for us, and I think the, the collaboration between the groups continues and is probably even increasing. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. There are no further questions. This does conclude today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.